0: and more. Now, here's your host, Kathy Rue. And this
1: is the hardest working attorney in the DFW coming to you out of Dallas Metro And I'm here today with Kevin Ebley.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How Sorry, are you? I've been a little
2: distracted
3: on the board over here trying to get all of our video to work. We have so many different moving parts now all at once.
1: as yes, well, we're going to keep those parts moving today. And I'm also here with Zach Lewis. Hi Zach. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm glad to be here on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, thanks for
3: uh, thanks for coming in.
1: Sure. Yeah. And we're going to talk about what the law is today in regards to guardianship. Guardianship. Today, guardianship 101. 101. That's today's
3: show. All right, perfect. I know. Last, uh, you know, recently we've been talking about wills ancillary documents, trust Today, this is something I don't know a whole lot about guardianship. So, I guess let's just jump right into it. What is Guardianship.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people don't know what a guardianship is, and it's just a a really strange term, but it's a familiar legal term for those of us who work in estate planning and probate. Guardianship is an area in probate law that involves the care and custody of an adult who is incapacitated, and the Texas Estates Code defines an incapacitated person. As someone who has a physical or mental condition, and because of that condition, they're substantially unable to care for themselves or their finances.
3: Okay, now this is just any kind of physical or mental condition. This is not necessarily like like in a will limited to uh, passing, death as it were.
1: Correct. It's someone, of course, who is currently suffering from some type of physical or mental condition. And because of that condition, it prevents them from being substantially able to provide food, clothing, shelter for themselves, uh, to care for their own physical health, or to manage their own financial affairs. Incapacitated can also apply to a minor. For example, if you have a minor who is age 17 and is about to turn 18 and they have some type of condition that prevents them from caring for themselves, they would also be subject to or uh, a candidate for a legal guardianship over them once they turn 18.
3: Right. Now, when I was a kid, uh, you know, signing uh, getting documents for field trips and stuff like that for uh, in, in school, they'd ask you to uh, ask to have things signed by your parent or legal guardian. That's where, you know, that's about as far as my guardianship knowledge goes. And you're saying this doesn't just apply to minors. This is also to Any adult who is incapacitated.
1: Yes. Yes. So it doesn't just apply to minors. Of course, if you're a minor, if you're um, age 17 or younger, you are considered incapacitated in terms of the law. And so you do need a parent or a legal guardian to sign documents for you. That same theory applies to someone who's 18 or over. But because of a physical or mental condition, they're unable to care for themselves. And so they need someone in place who has the legal authority to make decisions for them about their medical care, where they're going to live, uh, what type of medical treatment they should receive, uh, things of that type. Their finances as well. So because you can have a guardian of your person and you can also have a guardian of your estate. And there are two different roles, although they're both guardians, they are two different roles and they require different decision-making for the ward.
3: Right, now one of the questions I had about uh, wills was kind of, you know, who who who, who takes care of uh, the passing of, of, of estate items from one individual to another? And you said the state. So in, in that same vein, who decides if an individual is incapacitated is that up to the individual or is that uh, their family estate who who is that
1: well yeah And, and let me just try to clarify some of these terms to make it a little bit uh easier to understand if you're doing a will you want to name an executor in your will, and that is the person that's going to be in charge of distributing your estate assets upon your death. Right, But that's very different from a guardian. A guardian is someone who is going to be in that role while you're still alive. Once you have passed away, generally speaking, there's no need for a guardian unless it's a guardian of the estate in at that point their duties are to wrap up the estate and close out the guardianship. So basically you're going to have your guardian of your person and they're going to make decisions about where you live, who you socialize with, uh, what type of medical treatment you get. Then you're going to have a guardian of your estate if you have an estate and that person is in charge with managing your assets for your benefit of course. So. The role of a guardian is a fiduciary position, meaning that it's a position of trust, and you're put in that role, Zach, let's say you were Kevin's guardian. Sure. (laughs) You would be put in that role to make-
3: It's an interesting thought. (laughs) (laughs) To
1: make decisions in Kevin's best interest, even if they were decisions that Kevin didn't agree with, or decisions that he didn't want you to make, your responsibility under the law as his guardian is to make decisions that are in his best interest regarding both his person and his
3: estate. Sounds like any other day at the office. So <laughs> I wanted to ask about, because a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, probate assets and non-probate assets. Yes. So does a guardian actually have control of both of these things for an incapacitated individual?
1: Yes. Yes. Whoever is appointed as a guardian is going to have uh, authority over the ward's entire estate. And the estate includes both probate and non-probate assets. Your probate assets are going to be your house, your car, your furniture, personal belongings, uh, movable property. Your non-probate assets are going to be things like life insurance, CDs, stocks, bonds, bank accounts. And so the guardian of the estate would have legal authority to make decisions over that entire estate, which would include both types of assets.
3: So does anybody who falls within the definition of uh, incapacitated have to be placed under guardianship?
1: Not necessarily. That's an excellent question. Just because you have a condition that prevents you from substantially caring for yourself does not automatically mean you will be or should be placed under guardianship. The test there is a less restrictive alternative. So what the courts look at, and this is a critical issue in determining whether someone uh, should be under a guardianship, is whether or not there's a less restrictive alternative. And this issue is so critical, in fact, that the legislature recently uh, passed a law which says that the courts must examine the ward's case, to determine is there a less restrictive alternative in place or that could be set up to avoid a guardianship. Because remember, guardianships are court-supervised. It's a legal proceeding, so it's an application that's filed in court. Sure. And it can be expensive because numerous attorneys can be involved depending on the circumstances of the particular case. And it's time-consuming. You have to file an annual report and give the court an accounting of both personal decisions that are being made on behalf of the ward and also financial decisions that are being made on behalf of the ward. So it's critical to determine whether or not there's a less restrictive alternative. And some examples of a less restrictive alternative would be. A statutory power of attorney, which allows an agent to make financial decisions on behalf of the ward or the proposed ward, um, a medical power of attorney, which allows again allows an agent to make medical decisions if they're needed. Um, you can also have a family member act on behalf of the ward under the Health and Safety Code. There's an entire um, list of. Uh, people who have the authority to act and and it's listed in a hierarchy as who goes first, which would be a spouse. If there's no spouse, then it would be a parent. If there's no parent, it's an adult child. If there's no adult child, it would be a sibling. So the law does provide some options in terms of what a less restrictive alternative is and who can act on behalf of a ward.
3: Right. So while you make it sound very uh, you know simple and clear-cut, easy to swallow, this is still a process that is complicated and probably would require some kind of attorney to help you out with things.
1: You definitely would want to at le at a minimum consult with an attorney and get some legal advice because oftentimes people confuse a guardianship with a power of attorney and they're two different things. Um, And so a lot of times it's uh, facilities will confuse the two, Uh, people will confuse the two, family members will confuse the two. Uh, I've had people come to my office saying, well, we have a guardianship and so I will ask for letters from them. Well, may I please see your letters of guardian? And they don't have that they don't know what that is and what they provide me is a statutory power of attorney which is not a guardianship so (laughs) naturally
3: the question that follows how does a guardianship differ from a power of attorney
1: well a power of attorney is an out-of-court document it's done in a lawyer's office generally speaking hopefully it's done in a lawyer's office and with a lawyer supervision and it's notarized it's an uh legal document that's notarized. It's done out of court. It's an agreement between the two parties, the principal and the agent, that the principal is appointing the agent to make financial decisions on the principal's behalf.
3: Certainly a big uh, big responsibility for any individual. So probably uh, it is. this is somebody, this is somebody the, the, the individual we're speaking of would assign themselves.
1: Exactly. Right. And you would definitely want to, as, a, as the principal under a power of attorney, you definitely want to assign someone you trust, that you have a, a caring and trusting relationship for, and who's going to act in your best interest. And, of course, you want to communicate with that person that this is – and a position you're appointing them in. So that's generally how a power of attorney works. With a guardianship, it's different. It is an in-court proceeding. You have to file an application. Uh, Generally, it's going to be filed in a statutory probate court if there's one located in the county. And then that application, there has to be poster citation, there has to be a notice to relatives, a hearing is set. And it can be contested. An attorney is appointed for the proposed ward. So that's a much more complicated, extensive process. And we're about to go to break. When we come back, I'll clarify for you why a guardianship proceeding is so complex and extensive. Thank you for joining me today. It's the Law with Kathy Rue.
0: It's the Law with Kathy Rue continues next on RNCN.
4: Real estate moves fast, and technology needs to be able to keep up with it. If agents and home buyers aren't able to communicate in real time, opportunities can swiftly be missed. With RealLocator, the communication gap has finally been bridged. Hi, I'm David Mays, co-founder of Real Locator. I've been a real estate broker for the past 10 years and came from the frustration of buyers not being able to reach agents instantaneously. So that's what we created on demand. Potential buyers now have the ability to immediately connect with a nearby agent, making the home buying process quick, easy, and convenient. Real Locator is free to download. Just grab your smartphone, open the app, see available agents in your area, and connect instantaneously. Real Locator is also the perfect tool for any real estate professional. For real estate professionals, it's a lead-generating monster because, you know, you could be at the office doing paperwork, and you're going to be able to generate these leads in real time. Download your free version of Real Locator on the Apple iTunes Store today or visit the website at www.reallocator.com.
3: What if you got rewarded for every good decision? What if your heart had a special way of letting you
5: know it appreciates your healthy choices?
0: I've got to get my family to eat more vegetables.
5: Amazing!
0: And instead of cooking
6: with butter tonight, I think I'll saute our veggies with a heart-healthy oil.
0: You're a genius!
6: (laughs) So
3: really, would your food choices pay off in heart health? Did you know that when you replace bad fats with healthier fats, like those in canola or other vegetable oils, it can lower bad cholesterol levels? And that's good for your heart. Here's a winning idea.
5: Take up the challenge for good health, because the you of the future will say,
0: Fantastic!
5: Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info proudly supports the American Heart Association's Face the Fats
4: campaign.
6: Did you ever notice that there are more men than women talking about politics in America? Me too. That's why I wrote my book, Ladies Can We Talk, which is all about women talking about America's future. Check out our Facebook page, Ladies Can We Talk, and our website, ladiescanwetalk.org. I'm Debbie Georgiades, and I invite you, women and men, to be part of our conversation about the issues that will shape America's future. That's Debbie Georgiades and Ladies Can We Talk.
5: Something that every business owner relies on is good advice. And that's where
6: SCORE can help. SCORE is a nonprofit organization where we provide free business consulting services to people who want to start a business.
2: For nearly 50 years, SCORE mentors
5: have been helping businesses realize their dreams. What's even better than dreams is making a dream come true. Volunteer your expertise. You've got it. Share it. Volunteer your expertise today at score.org to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.
0: You're listening to It's the Law with Kathy Rue on RNCN.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Kathy Rue. Thank you for joining me this afternoon on It's the Law. Coming to you out of Dallas, Texas. I just wanna let everyone know that uh, I have been practicing law for over 20 years now. I'm licensed in both Louisiana and in Texas. And um, I just go on and on. Can't understand how I last so long. It's this hardest working attorney. But I'm happy to be here today. I'm thankful and grateful. And I'm looking forward to callers questions. So if you have a question about probate, guardianship, estate planning, elder law, please call in or send us an email. And happy to answer your question if I can. If not, I'll get back to you on it. So, Zach, before we left to go to break, we were talking about the difference between a guardianship and a power of attorney. Right. Well, one big reason that they're different and one important reason that needs to be um, really clarified Mm -hmm. or, you know, emphasized is uh, that with guardianship, the ward's rights are being removed their constitutional rights are being removed. For example, their right to enter into contracts, their right to vote, their right to drive, their right to marry, their right to decide where they live. All of that is being removed from the guardian And the guardian, excuse me, from the ward and the guardian is being given the legal authority to make those decisions for the ward. And that's a huge difference because with the power of attorney, although you're appointing an agent to make financial decisions for you that um, agent doesn't take away any of your rights. You as the principal under the power of attorney still have all of your legal rights and can still manage your financial affairs. So you don't lose any legal rights with a power of attorney. You're just saying that in addition to myself being able to manage my affairs, I also want to appoint Zach as my agent to manage my affairs as well. So now I've got two people that have the authority to manage my affairs, myself and Zach. And that's very, very different with uh, a guardianship. But that's a huge, huge critical difference. And oftentimes people, uh, they're not aware of that difference and and it's not clear to them. They they don't fully understand that. Right. Now,
3: something I wanted to ask, and this kind of leads, you kind of led perfectly into my next question. Uh, And I've asked this before about wills and trusts how many people can be a point can you just have one guardian or can you have multiple and then and in the same way with power of attorney can you assign multiple att- like Uh, people to power of attorney over over yourself?
1: Yes. For a power of attorney, you can appoint multiple agents. Uh, I generally don't recommend that. It's not really a good idea to have several people walking around being able to manage your affairs. Um, And you can also restrict it. For example, if you are making an out-of-state purchase of real estate and you can't be at the closing and you need someone to be there to sign for you, you can appoint an agent and restrict their authority to just that event and just that transaction. So that would be an instance where perhaps you might have multiple agents representing you under a power of attorney. Um, With a guardianship, the only time I've seen where you would have multiple guardians is if you had one person who was serving as the guardian of your person, making decisions about your uh, health, Uh, where you're going to live, who you're going to socialize with, that type of decision-making. And then you would have a different person serving as the guardian of your estate. Um, Sometimes that can be a family member. Sometimes it may be an attorney. Sometimes it may be um, a corporation or a, a financial planner or something of that nature
3: Now in any legal case, everybody's got a unique story, a kind of unique approach, and everybody's got a different case. So with guardianship, is this like an all or nothing kind of deal? Is this both feet in the water? You're either a full guardian or you're not? Or is there a way even though you're debatably incapacitated, you can at least retain some of your rights?
1: That's an excellent question. Yes, there is a way that you can retain some of your rights. You don't have to have a full-blown guardianship over a person. And it depends on what the the needs or the deficiencies of the proposed ward are. For example, if they can do some things to take care of themselves, but not other things. They may only need assistance um, managing their finances, but they may be able to provide for um, their, their clothing, their housing uh, to some degree. So they may only need assistance with that. So there is a variation. It's not uh, all or nothing. And the reason that there is some level of discretion as to how much authority the guardian is awarded or given, I shouldn't say awarded, how much the guardian is given, is because the whole purpose of a guardianship is to protect the incapacitated person and to make decisions in their best interest. And so the law wants the proposed ward to have as much autonomy still as they possibly can and to retain as many legal rights as they possibly can so just because an application for guardianship is filed doesn't necessarily mean uh, that a full guardianship will be granted it depends on uh, what the abilities of the proposed ward is and uh That's what the court is going to look at extensively in making the decision about, you know, about what rights the guard, the guardian has and what rights the proposed ward retains.
3: Right. Now, I believe you mentioned this earlier, but to file for guardianship, guardianship needs to be filed by the individual who wishes to be the guardian.
1: Generally speaking, that's how it happens. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can have a concerned person file an application for guardianship, and they will ask not necessarily that they're appointed, but that a suitable person is appointed to serve. So, for example, let's say you know that Kevin's having some difficulties not being able to manage his life very well. Happens. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like par part the course, situation. honestly. Yeah. <laughs> You're concerned about his liver. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> <laughs> so you could file an application with the court, not asking the court to appoint you, but asking that the court appoint um, a, a suitable person. Sure. To serve as his guardian.
3: How would the court find who would be a suitable person? I, I, I take it back. You, you said there's a hierarchy of guardianship.
1: Well, not necessarily a hierarchy of guardianship, but, you know, the court's going to look at his family first. The courts always look to family first, and they always want the families to step up and serve. Um, And so you're going to look at, you know, does he have any adult children? Are his parents still alive? Does he have any siblings? Those are the three main areas that the court's going to look at to see if there's anyone who is suitable to serve and is willing to serve. And then, if no one is found from any of those positions, then the court will look perhaps to a private professional guardian, um, or you know, a, a third party. It could be an attorney. Um, you know, you, you have to find someone at that point if a guardian is needed to serve in that role to manage his affairs and his finances for him.
3: Right. Now, you mentioned with power of attorney, the individual who wishes to have somebody serve with power of attorney over themselves can file for somebody to take over as their for, for their power of attorney. Can an individual file for somebody else to be a guardian for them when they're incapacitated?
1: Generally, you're not going to file
3: for For guardianship over yourself. Exactly.
1: I mean, (laughs) I've seen cases where the proposed ward doesn't object, and they will, you know, agree to the guardianship, but. I've never seen a case where the, the proposed ward actually files. They generally don't have the ability to do that. Right, that's why they're capacity, in that situation to begin with. Um, but as part of your estate planning, one thing that you can do is uh, you can do what's called a declaration of guardian. And that's an out of court document. It's usually a one page document. and it expresses your wishes as to who you want to serve as the guardian of your person and the guardian of your estate should you ever be determined um, incapacitated. And one of the really, really nice things about this document is that it also allows you to say, who you don't want to serve as your guardian. For example, if you've had a bit of a acrimonious relationship with uh, someone close to you in your family, or if if you're currently estranged from someone in your family, you get to list in the document that you would prefer if this person were not considered uh, as someone to serve as your guardian. And so that's really nice because then, you know, you're putting everyone on notice as that you have at least some concerns about this person and them acting in your best interest.
3: Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention for our longtime listeners that we actually mentioned Declaration of Guardian back in Episode 2 when we were talking about ancillary documents.
1: But... We did. That we did bes- talk about that. I'm we glad did. You remember yeah, we totally that. You were that. listening. Thank you. I <laughs> was listening.
3: Believe it or not. Yeah. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask: uh, in an emergency situation, and I, I know I've probably asked this c- similar question with uh, wills and, and trusts. In an emergency situation, when someone needs to be taken care of and they don't have a declaration of guardian, what happens?
1: Well, if you have an emergency situation where someone needs care, um, the person who's concerned can file an application for a temporary guardian and um that is a process that is is completed very very quickly because of course there's the urgent situation at hand and so uh, those applications are filed and usually considered by the court within 10 days and a hearing is held and you don't have to have the type of service and citation that normally occurs with uh, an application for a permanent guardian. You can also uh, request an emergency protective order and that's a process that goes through the, di- the district attorney's office of the the county uh, they usually file for those to have someone removed from a situation where they are at risk so There's a couple of options there if you have an emergency situation and someone needs to have uh, immediate attention for their safety uh, and for their health and welfare. We are about to go to our second break today. So stay tuned. We will be back with It's the Law. And this is Kathy Rue. Stay tuned.
0: More of It's the Law next on RNCN.
3: to RNCM, the number one
5: source for premium talk radio.
2: Are you a property owner or manager in a commercial building with a flat or slightly sloped roof? Hey, Dave Custable here with TriVan Roofing. Texas heat is brutal on roofs. What is the condition of your roof? Your roof is your first line of defense. Does your roof reflect or absorb the Texas sun? Is your roof cracked, split, or shrinking away from the edges? If you don't know, call TriVan Roofing for a complete roof analysis. We will inspect, photograph, and discuss our findings with you free of charge. Need a roof replacement? Partner with TriVan Roofing and enjoy the benefits of Duralast roofing roof system. Duralass has been custom fabricating single-ply roof systems for over 35 years. Duralass white material reflects heat, resists cooking grease, is Class A fire retardant, and Class 4 hail impact resistant. All comes with a 15-year material and labor warranty with consequential damage coverage included. Call Drive-In Roofing now at 817-891-7313. 817-891-7313 or online at TriVanRoofing.com That's TriVanRoofing.com
5: Remember th- I remember the moment. I remember the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. A storage tank ruptured, and for miles, chemicals were pushing up against the riverbanks. This
2: was a big, big deal, and it was going to have a serious impact on communities up and down the river.
5: I remember the moment this local guy came up to me and said, they call the guard out for this stuff? You probably thought we were all about hurricanes, tornadoes, fighting Mother Nature.
2: Hey, it's a chemical
6: spill. It's a disaster.
5: It affects the water supply, threatens wildlife. We're
6: talking about the health of entire communities and people's livelihoods.
5: You bet we're ready for these kinds of things. We were out there with booms to prevent the spill from expanding.
0: We're responsible for protecting and monitoring the sensitive wetlands.
5: I also remember the moment that same guy came up to me and said, I don't know what we would have done if they hadn't called
3: the Guard up. Learn more about how you can protect your friends, families, neighbors, and the environment. Everything that makes up your community. Go to NationalGuard.com.
6: Sponsored by Texas National Guard. Aired by the Texas Association of Broadcasters and this station.
4: Hi, this is Jean Burke with College Prep Genius. Colleges go up on their rankings because of test scores. When your student has a great score, they can get free college. I am giving away my 15 secrets to free college. Go to my website, collegeprepgenius.com. Click on 15 secrets to free college and use the code radio. You're going to learn the secret formula that colleges use to get you free college. So again, that's www.collegeprepgenius.com.
5: Hi, this is John Bon Jovi asking you to go to serve.gov to get involved in something you believe in. I'm a big believer in the power of we. We We can tackle the tough challenges we face and build community through service and volunteering. The reality is, we're all in this together. It's time for you to raise your hand and make a difference. United we stand. United we serve. How
3: will you raise
1: your hand when they call your
2: name? Are you with me?
3: We
5: weren't born to follow.
2: Go to serve.gov for
5: more information about how to volunteer in your community.
2: This message is brought to you by United We Serve and the Corporation for National and Community Service.
0: You're tuned in to It's The Law with Kathy
1: Rue on RNCN. Hey, thanks everyone for coming back and joining us on It's The Law with Kathy Rue. We've still got some more to cover in terms of Guardianship 101 today. I'm here in the studio with Kevin Abling.
3: Hey, Kathy.
1: Hey, Kevin. And also with Zach Lewis.
3: I know can't, nobody can see, but I have a phenomenally convenient kickstand over I got my feet kicked yes, up. You it's too. nice. <laughs> I yeah. wish I had one. Gotta <laughs> hang out. Next week, we'll get one set up, I promise. People <laughs> can see. Well, they can kind of see. Kind of bit. Yeah. A little
1: bit. Kevin. <laughs> (laughs) If people want to get in touch with us, if they'd like to call in with a question or email a question, how can they do that?
3: You can give us a call here at 214-455-0534. That's 214-455-0534. Or shoot us an email at itsthelawwithkathyrou at gmail.com.
1: Great. Thank you for that information. So when we left, before we went to break, we were talking about a temporary guardianship. Right. And it's just important to know that um, there must be a showing of imminent danger to the person or their property uh, in order to file an application for a temporary guardianship. Those are not done lightly or frivolously. Um, you really have to show that the person is in some immediate risk of harm or danger. Um, it could be there, it could be from either abuse by a third party or it could be from self neglect or you have to show that their financial situation is such that they're being exploited financially and at risk of having their finances uh, taken away from them um, without their consent or without their knowledge even or as a result of duress or coercion so (coughs) that's that's a gives you some basis for what the showing is for a temporary guardian. And you have to have substantial evidence. So you want more than just someone saying that this is what's happening. You want some type of corroborating evidence to show the courts that, uh, yes, this is in fact what is happening. And we need the courts to step in immediately in order to protect this person from being abused or exploited or having their funds uh, taken away from them. And Generally, temporary guardianships will last uh, anywhere from 60 days to nine months, depending on whether or not they're contested. Uh, They could last longer if the court determines they should last longer. Um, But in any case, a temporary guardianship is is a short-term solution. And if if you have a situation where the proposed ward is at risk, is an imminent danger of being either exploited or abused, You definitely want to file a temporary application and you want to file it with a permanent application as well so that once your temporary application expires, you have your permanent application set and ready to go so that there's not a gap of time when the ward doesn't have a caretaker or have a guardian in place to take care of them. And sometimes, depending on the situation and the gravity of it and what circumstances exist or what's transpired, you may want to also request some type of injunctive relief.
3: Injunctive relief.
1: Yes. So you may want to also file a temporary restraining order or temporary injunction um, to... Restrain or stop the person that's acting against the proposed ward uh, from continuing to act, and it could be any type of behavior. For example, you may want to them not to be able to see the ward or have any contact with the ward, or you may want them to stop acting in <clears throat> a self-appointed capacity where you know they've made themselves this person in control of the ward and, and they're managing the affairs and they're not acting in the ward's best interest so in those cases you would if the, depending on what they're doing and what type of action they're taking, you would definitely want to ask the court for some type of injunctive relief to stop them from behaving in a certain way.
3: So in a best case scenario, uh, one would want to file for temporary guardianship over somebody, but if that doesn't happen in an emergency situation, the court will seek a temporary guardian and assign somebody that, that role, correct?
1: Well, generally the only time the court is going to file an application or get involved is if someone... Files what's called a suggestion of need suggestion of need yes so you still have a situation where someone is coming to the court and asking the court to intervene and asking the court for relief so it's to the best of my knowledge you're not going to have a situation where the court just jumps up and starts interfering in people's property or or people's lives or just saying you're incapacitated It, it doesn't work that way Basically, someone brings this case to the court, either they file, they hire an attorney, they file an application, whether it's a permanent application or a temporary application, or they file a form, what's called a suggestion of need, where they ask the court to please investigate because uh, they are concerned about this person's welfare, They have information of things that the person's doing or things that the person's not doing and should be doing, and they're concerned about the person's capacity level and their well-being.
3: Right. Now, if at all possible, this is something I would imagine one would want to avoid for the best case uh, for an individual who is incapacitated. You would want to file all of the stuff in advance, if possible, of course, and you you want to get all this done because if the court has to go looking, they're busy. They got stuff going on. They may not be able to make what would be the best decision for the individual?
1: Well, actually that's not correct. Oh. Um, basically the way it works is the, the court, the probate courts have a court investigator on staff. And when a suggestion of need comes into the court, the court investigator will uh, will begin looking into the case and investigating it, contacting people, talking to them. Um, you will th- Sometimes some probate courts also have a court visitor and the court visitor will go out uh, to the proposed ward's house and interview them and interview family members and try to gather information to verify or substantiate what has been reported to the court on the suggestion of need form. So <clears throat> there is an investigation that takes place to determine whether or not. Um, a proceeding needs to be filed and if the court determines that a proceeding does need to be filed then the court investigator will file an application um, to have uh, a guardian appointed right. for this particular person uh, one important factor one important element of a guardianship is that you have to have a physician certificate mm. so generally speaking you're not going to get awarded a guardianship over a person unless you have a physician certificate and that physician certificate is a medical determination that the proposed ward is incapacitated right. because of a substantial physical or mental diagnosis. No, I
3: understand a physician certificate is different from a physician's directive.
1: Yes, it is. Those are co- two completely different yeah, documents. They just happen to
3: sound similar to the, <laughs> to the layman like similar. myself. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm glad you raised that. Yes, they, they're very, very different. Very different. Um, physician's directive, um, and that begins with a D, um, that directive is an out of court statement that the principal makes expressing to their medical providers how they want to be treated if they have either a terminal illness or a um, life. Uh, let's see, it's a terminal illness. Or a, or a life.
3: A you know, honestly, the, the term escapes me. <laughs> it
1: escapes me too. There's so many terms <laughs> running through my head right now. It's um, it. Uh, 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 well, we'll come back. You to guys in your legal.
6: We'll get back that, to that, it. I know the legal <laughs> we'll jargon. We'll get back yeah. to it.
1: Anyhow, the physician's directive is if you have a terminal illness. Um, you basically if you have 6 months to live, right, then you're telling your doctors, do you either want um, life sustaining treatment, artificial treatment to sustain you and keep you living longer, or do you want to just be made comfortable by um, you know being as pain-free as possible and left to pass gently. So that's the physician's directive, and that's very different from a physician's you're certificate. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, very different things. Because the physician's certificate is a it's a form And it's a standard form that all of the probate courts use. And the doctor has to complete it. So that's different than the directive. The directive, you're completing it. Mm -hmm. But the certificate, the physician, is actually completing it. And he's putting on there what your diagnosis is and what, in his professional opinion, he thinks you're capable of doing and you're capable of not doing based upon your, um, your diagnosis. And he's also putting on there what your prognosis is and what your course of treatment is. So right. there's a lot of information in there. There's a lot of deadlines involved. That certificate has to be completed within 120 days of you filing your uh, prior to you filing your application for guardianship. Um, the doctor has to have examined you within a certain amount of time of completing that certificate. So mm-hmm. you can't have an examination done two years ago and then use that for an application you would file today it has to be more current than that right Um, so there's a lot of deadlines involved and you have to have a doctor involved in terms of saying what your capacity is and that's for your permanent application if you have if you're filing a temporary application for guardianship you don't need a physician certificate for that you just have to have substantial evidence of imminent danger to show Um, a guardian should be upon a temporary guardian should be appointed
3: right now a temporary guardianship is just that it's temporary guardianship though does guardianship offer a long-term solution
1: it does it does offer a long-term solution and and the temporary guardian is a a temporary solution until you can get to the permanent guardian, until you can get your physician certificate completed. Mm. Um, The permanent guardian is long-term. It can be long-term. However, uh, there are circumstances when a ward is restored uh, to capacity. You can have a situation where someone is is gravely ill, but that can be a temporary situation. Sure. And so if they recover and if they are able to demonstrate that they now have capacity and that they can take care of themselves and make decisions for their health, their well-being, their finances, then the guardian has a legal obligation to restore them and to have the guardianship removed.
3: Now, that's something I want to dive into a little bit more, but right before I do, let me ask you. We know what physici- what role physicians play in guardianship. What role do attorneys play in the guardianship process?
1: That's a really good question. Attorneys play can play several different roles. Um, you have the attorney ad litem, which is an attorney who is appointed by the court to represent the proposed ward or the ward, as the case may be. And um, that is because, you know, you're, you're this person is potentially having legal rights removed from them. So for due process to occur, they have to have their attorney appointed to represent what they want, because as I referred to earlier, sometimes the proposed ward will agree to the guardianship. Sometimes they they won't agree and they will contest it. And so that's where the attorney ad litem comes in. The attorney ad litem uh, will contest the guardianship if the ward so directs. Right. And so that's to protect the ward's interest and uh, to advocate on behalf of the ward. Then you have the applicant's attorney. So let's say, Zach, you filed your application to have um, Kevin placed under guardianship, and you came to me and you hired me to do that. So Mm -hmm. my job is to represent you as the applicant and assist you in obtaining the guardianship over Kevin right so I would be your attorney
3: but you wouldn't represent Kevin
1: I would not I would gotcha. not I okay. could not represent Kevin uh, that's a conflict of interest right. and because my position in representing you is adverse mm. to his interest and so that's why the court would appoint an attorney at litem for Kevin um, then if another family member, wanted to contest the application uh then that family member could hire an attorney and you'd have another attorney involved mm. so it it can it can get uh complex a
3: little hairy so a little like. bit yeah. a little
1: bit yes uh, we are scheduled for a break in the next few seconds we hope you're enjoying this episode of it's the law with kathy rue stay tuned we've got more to come <laughs>
0: Providing you her will and testament for good radio. You're tuned in to It's the Law with Kathy Rue on RNCN.
6: Hi, I'm Debbie Sardone, founder of Cleaning for a Reason, a national nonprofit dedicated to cleaning the homes of women battling cancer. We recently partnered with Ford Warriors in Pink to help provide more good days to women fighting breast cancer. Ford has been active in the fight against cancer since 1993 and are dedicated to helping those touched by this devastating disease through actions that support, inspire, and empower patients, survivors, and co-survivors throughout their journey. This year, Cleaning for a Reason and Ford Warriors in Pink will provide 500 additional house cleanings to women battling breast cancer. To find out how you can help or receive this gift, just go to cleaningforreason.org or warriorsinpink.ford.com.
5: I'm Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times they've already made an agreement, and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end, and they may not always be the best in your area or for your situation. Being a boutique, we are independent. We have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you. It's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents. You can reach us at 214-750-7557, and you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com. Got a few bills in your
3: pocket and you hit a happy hour with your friends.
5: Hey man, grab a beer! Now, fast forward. Uh-oh. You just got a DWI, mono.
3: Time in jail. Up to $17,000 in fees and fines. Want to keep good times from going all bad?
5: Happy hour
0: tonight. Can I call you when I'm done to get a ride
5: home? Line up a sober driver before you go out. Because if you get a DWI... There's no going back. Drink, drive, go to jail. A message from text. save a
2: life.
0: Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safer on pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed
6: cleaning tip of the week. One in five children in America go to school hungry every day. I'm Viola Davis. I was one of those children. I was one of the nearly 17 million kids who worry where their next meal will come from. Join me with the Safeway Foundation and the Entertainment Industry Foundation to help us end childhood hunger. Help undo hunger for America's children. Go to
4: hungeris.org to learn more.
3: With all the crazy weather in Texas, you never know when mother nature might strike. There's hail, tornadoes, floods, fire, hurricanes, and so many more. When tragedy strikes, we all need someone to turn to. John Irwin is a licensed and bonded public insurance adjuster right here in DFW and has a stellar reputation as the guy you can count on for all your claim adjustment needs. John is the man you need when the unpredictable occurs. John can handle just about any weather damage you can think of and more. From hurricanes to water leaks, from lightning to vandalism, John Irwin can help. Don't wait. Give John a call today at 972 372 4990. That's 972 372 4990. Or visit us online at Insurance 911 Claims Specialist.com. That's Insurance 911 Claims Specialist.com.
5: You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.
0: With the power of attorney. You're listening to It's the Law with Kathy Rue on
1: RNCN. Welcome back, everyone, to It's the Law with Kathy Rue. My office is located in Grapevine, Texas, which is centrally located to Dallas, Tarrant, uh, and Denton County probate courts. And I am currently uh, practicing in the areas of estate planning, probate elder law and guardianship and I also have a general civil practice where I handle all types of civil cases at both the federal and state court levels. Um, I handle divorces, consumer protection, collection, foreclosures, IRS tax controversies, anything that has to do with a civil matter. So feel free to give me a call at 817-874-8877. I'm happy to set up a consultation with you. So, Zach, before we went to break, we were talking about guardianship.
3: We, of course.
1: And one, you had asked me what role do attorneys play in the guardianship process. Mm -hmm. And so one thing, uh, one role that I left out that is important is a guardian ad litem. Right. That's an attorney that the court appoints to represent the best interest of the proposed ward.
3: But this is an attorney. Yes. Okay.
1: And earlier we had talked about the attorney at litem. And the attorney at litem is appointed to represent the ward's interest. In other words, what is it that the ward wants? That's what the attorney at litem is supposed to do. But the guardian ad litem is supposed to do or supposed to recommend uh, and advocate for what's in the proposed ward's best interest, right. which could be different than what the proposed ward wants, for example, the proposed ward may say, "You know, I think I'm capable of handling my life and my affairs and taking care of myself, so I don't want a guardianship." And so then the attorney ad litem would contest the guardianship and not advocate for one. But if the court appoints a guardian ad litem, then that person has to advocate for what's in the proposed ward's best interest. And so if a guardianship were in the proposed ward's best interest, that's what the guardian ad litem is going to advocate for.
3: Right, so something I wanted to ask about, when a yes. guardianship is, 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 is proposed over, over a ward, they lose some of the rights. Yes. Now, if something were to happen in which a ward were recapacitated, as it were, if, if they regain their ability to kind of take care of themselves, how would they go about getting those rights back?
1: Well, and again, that's a, a really good question. That is where the guardian comes in. If the guardian sees and, and knows that the ward has been restored to capacity, um, the 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 guardian has a duty to file an application to restore all of the rights to the ward that were previously removed through the guardianship proceeding. And that's a proceeding you know, in and of itself. You have to file an application with the court, uh, give notice, citation has to be posted, and you have to have a hearing, uh, put on evidence showing that the ward is now capacitated and can take care of themselves and that their capacity has been restored. And then the court you know makes a decision, makes a ruling on it, either granting it or denying it.
3: Now, say we end up with the first half of a Cinderella story, uh, Cinderella and her evil stepmother, who who took over her <laughs> estate, right? Is there any way that a ward could 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 file that themselves t- in dispute of the guardian?
1: Fairy tales, my favorite. I know, yeah. <laughs>
3: that's that's what every attorney loves: complete and total fiction.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so what are you asking me now? Right,
3: I'm sorry. In the case of, say, Cinderella, right? Uh, she she has a big estate. Her father dies. Her evil stepmother takes over as the guardian and takes all all. All the estate and the money and leave cinderella in a helpless position now is there any way that cinderella could could file for uh to to, to be reinstated as, as her own guardian as herself
1: well yeah it depends um it depends on what's going on with cinderella uh first of all uh, we, we can assume she's an adult um second of all uh if the evil stepmother has been plundering her estate, um, the court's going to become aware of that. Of course, they have to because, file financial documents Right, and because of reports. the annual accounting. Right. right, that has to be done. Um, it, because the evil stepmother has to account for her expenditures and her management of the estate. So she wouldn't get very far. So hopefully she wouldn't get very well, far. Or perhaps she
3: could contract, <laughs> or con- contact King Triton, King of the Sea. Maybe <laughs> he, he could help out. Alright, thank you for the Disney drop, Kevin. Let's bring this back down to earth a little bit.
1: And um, um oh in the alternative if the evil stepmother were truly being evil and misappropriating Cinderella's funds um you could have someone come in uh, someone who's aw- who's aware of what's going on, and file uh, application to have the evil stepmother removed as the guardian and have a successor guardian appointed. Like the prince. All right, yes. perfect. <laughs>
3: and that wraps up that fairy tale. So
1: let's go <laughs> with a happy ending. Oh yeah, and yeah. happily ever after. And so. then sue the evil stepmother to recover <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of the treasure that was plundered. Of
3: course. So uh, something I did want to ask about I- in a similar vein, but kind of the opposite situation. Say you have an individual who has trouble taking care of themselves when they're young, leading up to uh, their ages, say 17 to 18. And when you cross the boundary from 17 to 18, your parents are no longer your guardians. You are the guardian of yourself. And I know we only have just a little bit of time left, but I wanted to ask, what about 18 year old guardianship?
1: Okay, so basically um, what happens oftentimes is that you have um, someone who has a long-term disability. For example, you have a child who suffers from Down syndrome Mm -hmm. or a cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy or something of that nature. So you have a chronic long-term medical condition that has caused this person to not be able to care for themselves or manage their financial affairs. As long as they're a minor, their parent is in charge of them and making decisions for them as in the normal circumstances where parents do this for their minor children the concern arises when this person turns age 18 because at the time they turn age 18 they become a legal adult and so they're empowered with certain rights such as the right to drive the right to vote the right to um, get married the right to enter into contracts so at that at the point where they are about to turn 18 17 and, and going so 17 and six months you would want to encourage the parents to file an application for guardianship on their behalf so that when they do turn 18, you don't have a gap of time where they're not protected. By their parents,
3: strong advice.
1: So that's what usually happens in those cases, um, just to make sure that the person is protected because they're all they're so vulnerable and they're at risk for being exploited and taken advantage of.
3: All right, well, I think thanks. our time is up or
1: close <laughs> to being up.
3: Believe it or not, it's that time
1: already. <laughs> I really enjoyed being here this afternoon with you guys, and I joy I enjoyed being here with my listeners. Thanks for tuning in to It's the Law with Kathy Rue. I hope you call in with questions, email with questions. And feel free to give me a call, 817-874-8877. I'm always happy to hear from you. It's the Law with Kathy Roo. For more information
3: on It's the Law with Kathy Rue, visit us online at com or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. RNCN, the number one
5: source for premium talk radio. I am Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times, they've already made an agreement, and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end, and they may not always be the best in your area or for your situation. Being a boutique, we are independent. We have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you. It's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents. You can reach us at 214-750-7557, and you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com. You ignore the signs, so you enable
6: You don't want to alienate your child, so you enable.
3: But if you think they're trying drugs, you shouldn't be afraid.
6: You're the parent,
3: so you are able.
6: And we can help, so you are able. Get help at drugfree.org.
3: Partnership for a
0: Drug-Free America Texas Alliance.
3: You're listening to RNCN,
6: the digital destination for premium talk radio.